0: I really appreciate that you're all here, and I think that we're going to have a really fun time today talking about and learning about the energetic effects of pranayama, because our body is an incredible superhuman machine, and we don't even really realize every single thing that is going to actually happen to yourself or to your students um, when they come to the mat. And truly, the energetic effects of breathing, of prana, is why we're teaching yoga. It has nothing to do with how you look in a pose. It has nothing to do with what your students are doing, per se, in your class. It's as they calm the fluctuations of their mind, how are they using the breath to literally affect the central nervous system. And there's a lot of science that's starting to like really tap into that right now. The quote that I wanted to read you is like one of my favorite quotes. And it is um, actually a Thomas Edison quote. So Thomas Edison once stated that the doctor of the future will give no medicine but will interest his or her patient in the care of the human frame and diet in the cause and prevention of disease. That's like when the light bulb was created, right? That was a long time ago. I mean, the Industrial Revolution, so it's not super long time ago, but it's a pretty profound statement for someone who was a man of science to say. And what I want you all to think about is the fact that um, because our bodies are this incredible human machine, um, we have the ability to change it, right? And people might see yoga as an exercise to inner strength, where they're looking for the hero physique. Because a lot of times, that's why our students are coming to the mat. They're like, I want yoga butt, right? They don't know really what's actually happening to their body. But this is a 5,000-plus-year-old discipline that's actually working on um, values or pathways of energy. So I gave you some handouts. And we definitely will review the handouts. But I also want to really focus on the idea of, Uh, uh, the idea of that this ancient practice which was started so long ago had nothing to do with really the physicality of it it had more to do with the energetics of it so this is an intimidating topic it takes time to really kind of maybe learn about it and one thing that I wanted to share with you is this awesome awesome book have you ever seen it and I'll pass it around. This is Iyengar. And this is a book called Light on Pranayama. And it talks about how to sit, all different breathing practices, all these incredible things that um, studies and research, and um, just different things that, about the uh, tantric texts that talk about pranayama, chakras, vayus, and really the how and why of breathing okay it's a very cool book what's interesting is that Iyengar himself was a very sick kid and if anybody's coming to the Iyengar talk we'll talk about it some more but he literally started doing yoga because his sister married some famous yoga dude and he was sent to Krishnamacharya to heal his ailments and he did Uh, asthma, physical challenges, all kinds of different things, and it was healed through breath work practices. It's pretty amazing. Okay, so that's a cool book and we can come check it out later. Um, What we're going to talk about today is um, some of the things that you have in your handout. Um, Prana, on your first page, is all about vital life force, right? It can be defined as vital breath. It can be defined as subtle energy that flows through the body. And it's our inner reservoir of power, right? So I I broke down the word pra and uh, prana for you. Pra means the smallest unit or the smallest atom. So literally when we're practicing tapping into breath, we're tapping into the smallest energetic unit of your body which means you have the ability just like when you've heard of like people who say like i can do long distance healing or i can do reiki on someone and actually have an energetic effect on them you can have an energetic effect on yourself and heal any disease in your system through breath if you really practice prana yama right so prana your vital life force is that little essence but yama means mastery or control to observe or to witness and a yama in a sense of control and the other bullet point is to restrain the prana so a lot of things that we do um, in class today on our tech is going to be working with different ways to restrain the flow of energy, different ways to manipulate the flow of energy in our body, because our breath is a profound and powerful tool, right? It's pretty crazy, um, I appreciate the powerful impact it's had in my life, and especially learning how to use its energetic effects to heal things that maybe doctors didn't think could be cured, right? Or different um, emotional states of being that I was able to finesse or readdress or reappropriate into a more positive vein, right? It's pretty cool. I love Thich Nhat Hanh. so there's a quote on the top of your page that says, Breathing in, I calm my body and mind. Breathing out, I smile. Dwelling in the present moment, I know that this is the only moment. Right? So yoga or meditation practices, we spend so much time um, really focusing on allowing the fluctuations of the mind to calm down. Right? So we're not ruminating or in a negative state. And we're calming ourselves down so that we can find ease and harmony and bliss, mm-hmm. happiness and health. And um, what I, um, this moment-to-moment awareness or this joyful insight reminds me of another Thich Nhat Hanh quote, which is, feelings come and go like clouds in a windy sky but conscious breathing is my anchor, right? How many of you have someone says something to you or you see something or you feel something and you go off the deep end and get all cuckoo for cocoa puffs, right? Yeah, if you're not, I want whatever you're drinking, but yeah, but that's why breathing is so awesome because we're using it as a tool to help us to calm our body-mind connection. So I just have my own like, personal notes that I'm reading from. Um, as a student, the benefits of breathing are immeasurable. And you have a lot of like, different things that we'll discuss on how breath helps you. But um, it, when we're a teacher, a yoga teacher, we have to use the breath, not our ego, not our psyche, not our like, you know, preconceived notions of what the students should be doing. But as a teacher, we're really being a bridge between the conscious and unconscious aspects of ourself. Not ourself, but our student's self. So we're helping them use the breath to gain more insight or drop into awareness or find more authenticity within themselves. Which is really interesting Like, oh, I just thought I was coming to the mat to, like, sweat a little bit. Or I thought I was coming to the mat to, if you're doing yoga nidra, to check out of my brain. But actually, what you're doing is you're tapping deeper into the unconscious aspects. So when you get this mastery over your inner nature, you're starting to dive into the sixth limb of your practice. Which limb is prana or pranayama of your practice? Okay, I saw you like thinking fourth. Yes, that was good. Fourth. So the fourth limb of the practice, to breathe consciously and with awareness. And as you start using the energetic principles, you go from the gross, the physical, to the internal. And the internal is so cool to me because we need to understand when we start going internally, we're creating this amazing resiliency and we're influencing our physiological and our psychic bodies. Did I lose anybody? Right? No? Everybody's okay? Sometimes when you start talking about like the more depth and the energetic stuff, people are like a little bit, whoa. Um, So as a teacher... I really want you all to understand the basic uh, physiological functioning of the breath. Yeah? Mm -hmm. okay. In yoga philosophy, we talk about values or pathways of energy, okay? And in order to do that, in order to really think about this, we have to think about the brain and the spine connection. Okay? I think this is really cool. These aren't on your notes, right? Um, sorry, I know. The good thing is, is that I record everything, right? Um, the brain and spine connection are really interesting. Patanjali used to always call, um, or you know, whomever this human was, Patanjali, um, someone documented it saying it was like the blueprint of our essence, or the superhighway of our body, right? As, as doctors and scientists now know, the values, the pathways of energies that yogis used to kind of um, work on when they were breathing, um, now are called um, uh, the central nervous system, right? But yogis called them chakras. And the chakras, we think of them as seven chakras, right? the chakras were actually 72,000 plus meridian lines of energy that ran along the superhighway. So if there was a disconnect or if something wasn't functioning properly, then what happened is that you had dis-ease or you had a challenge. And you would do something specifically, just like Iyengar, to cure your asthma right you would do a specific breathwork practice or you would do a specific movement with breath to control the prana the smallest essence the smallest atom of your being you can manipulate when you practice energetically your these the breath okay so as yogis and as adults we know Yoga is about um, balance, right? What does yoga mean, the definition of yoga? To yoke. Anybody else? What do you think yoga means? Union, union. Union, right? Harmony, interconnectedness, all these different things, right? So the nadis, the flowing rivers of energy that we move our breath through create those major intersections of the highway, which are our chakras. And we're talking about like, sometimes they're colors, sometimes they have different names, but they all have a different effect on different parts of our body. If you took your brain out of your body, most people don't realize that it's attached to your spine. So that's pretty cool because if your brain is attached to your spine and those lines of communication within your body elicit specific emotional responses, those things start to connect to specific areas. So say I'm looking at my mid thoracic cavity, so my belly region, and I'm looking at like a T1, that goes to my heart. But if I'm looking at um, T12, then it's going to maybe your small intestine, your lymph circulation, your large intestine, your urinary bladder, your kidneys. I mean, it's pretty wild. So if I have a dis-ease in a certain area of my body, I can literally fix it by breathing a certain way and finessing the chakras finessing or energetically shifting the nadis, the flowing rivers of energy. Coolio. Okay? And that's why in yoga we're talking so much about like Tadasana, right? Because it's our posture. Our posture has to be really, 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 really aligned. Not only like in a spiritual place, like aligned in our truth, but also aligned so that those rivers of energy flow freely. Am I losing you? You're good. Okay. Is this interesting? Okay. Cool. So we have our spine that needs to be resilient. And we're understanding when we're working into this that we need to know the anatomy of our body and how it works. So now I'm going into a little bit of a science. Cool. We have this really interesting thing called the nervous system, right? Our central nervous system. The cool thing about our breathing is that it's regulating the autonomic nervous system. So it's regulating your parasympathetic nervous system and your sympathetic nervous system. Which in turn, the autonomic nervous system regulates um, like how we digest things... Um, Oh, sorry. The autonomic nervous system uh, is um, split in two, and it shows you how, here in this diagram, how it helps with uh, heart rate and your uh, bronchial, uh, your digestive system, all your different systems, but it's split in two. So your central nervous system um, and your autonomic nervous system is split in two. So you have your parasympathetic and your sympathetic. Okay? Making sense? One is fight or flight, and the other one is rest and digest. We want to be in a state of rest and digest, right? What happens when someone says something to you and it frustrates you and you start to ruminate on it and you get upset? You go into fight or flight, right? Mm -hmm. And what happens with your breathing? Shallow. Shallow. hold your
1: breath.
0: Yeah, you might hold your breath.
1: It's hard to focus
0: on it. It's hard to focus on it, so it can become erratic. It might not go the full depth and breadth of your breathing capacity, right? So after I give you this kind of little description, we're gonna talk about the diaphragm in and of itself. Um, When we're breathing, we're um, balancing out two opposite nervous system functions, which impact our overall health because we can tap into our nervous system and affect its efficiency. So in a way, as yoga teachers, you become a scientist. You are your own experiment. And then you use the tools that you learn in your experiences to be able to guide your students into a positive state of being, right, to optimize their health. Um, When you're breathing and you're in this optimal space, you're bringing more oxygen to the body um, because electrical rhythms of the heart, lungs, and brain are in sync. And that means healing when your heart, your lung, and your brain are in sync. And breathing energetically affects your mood and can impact your well-being and peace of mind. So although students are coming to the mat for one thing, they might be getting a totally other thing on a subconscious level. And in turn, that's what's going to keep them coming back and making it a habitual practice. That might be why you all are here, right, to be yoga teachers, is because something clicked and it made you feel really, really awesome, and that insight and that joy and that peace of mind was like, I'm going to go take a teacher training. Yeah, live the rock star life. (laughs) Awesome. So when we're harmonizing the body and you're awakening the prana and your psychic body starts to wake up, a lot of the stuff that you're teaching without even knowing it, and we don't have a lot of these modalities here in the Midwest, It's very big in the coasts. We're doing a lot of kundalini work and tantric work. Where you're opening up spiritual energy and your evolutionary potential. You know how you always hear people say, like, I'm taking you to a higher state of consciousness, right? Or you're opening up your, you know, your thousand-petal lotus. Like, really? (laughs) But it's true. There's all this incredible stuff that happens. Um, and you gain that sixth sense, Mm? right? So those of you who study the sutras with me know that in the third and fourth chapter, we start talking about when you practice the eight limb path, you start gaining your sixth sense. You start gaining your siddhas, your superpowers, where you know when someone's calling before they call, when you know that you're going to have a really good day because you just can feel it energetically. You know how someone's relating to you just because you can sense it, because you're an empath, right? So that is the cool thing about prana. You can use it to block things. You can use it to create things. You can use it to harmonize things. You can use it as a tool for yourself energetically, but you can also help as a teacher facilitate ease in people's lives, right? Get them out of pain and suffering and offer them a more sattvic place, a more harmonious being. Mm -hmm. Sounds cool. Mm -hmm. So what I find is interesting here is that your inhalation, in Sanskrit it's called P-U-R-A-K-A, puraka. It stimulates several effects in the sympathetic nervous system, so your fight or flight, and in small doses, we—this de- isn't on your sheet, sorry. In small doses, we definitely need this—the um, uh, uh, a sympathetic nervous system. But when it goes into overdrive, your body and mind can suffer. So, have you ever heard a kid say, "I have a tummy ache"? Mm-hmm. Right? They could be in an overdrive. And have you ever heard someone say, like, "My heart hurts"? Right? My heart feels heavy right? Or someone suffering from anxiety says, my chest is burning, right? That's when your sympathetic nervous system isn't doing you any good anymore, and it's going into overdrive. And um, a prolonged inhale is good because it's energizing. But if you don't need that energizing, and you're doing too much of it, and you're not in a balanced state of being, then you're going into too much cortisol production and it's actually going to be detrimental to your health, okay? Your exhalation is called a RE chaka, like almost like chakra, chaka. And that activates the parasympathetic because it creates a drop in your heart rate and your blood pressure and sends serotonin through the body. So serotonin to me is like, um, it's the happy hormone. It's like when you feel love for someone, or you feel like you're, you have a piece of chocolate, or your like favorite dessert, or you have a glass of wine with a friend and just laugh a lot, right? That's like, that's what the happy hormone does to you. So your inhale, yogis call that springtime. Inhale is upward movement, right? Your exhale is downward movement. It's like letting go, pushing out, releasing the toxins. Yogi's call that um, like um, the fall, the letting go. Hmm? And when you're exhaling, that's when your body can rest and digest. Another way of saying that is like calm and connect. What do we do again when we're nervous? Hold breath. Right? What do we do when we're upset? Pissed off with someone? In a rush? Shallow, fast, Eating, fast. right? Eating really fast? So we're doing all this inhale, but we're not exhaling. And if we don't exhale, we're not giving ourselves this positive trigger to something in our body called the vagus nerve. V-A-G-U-S, like Las Vegas. Isn't it cool? These yogis were, like, really weird. They left their total, they left their families, they, like, went and lived in, like, some caves in the woods. They ate, like, dirt and, you know, sometimes even drank their own pee and, you know, because... It's like that was the Soma practice, right? They did all these like weird experiments, but they learned about the body and energetic and science stuff that like people are just starting to learn right now. So they realize that your inhale is an upward movement, just like why we call mountain, mountain pose or lotus flower, lotus flower. Out of the muck and the mire, we still grow upward in the bright sunshine, right? And then our exhale, that letting go, that pushing away, um, you need to do that. But if we don't have that ability to get our diaphragm to properly function, then we're actually hurting ourselves. We're not stimulating cell reproduction, we're not giving ourselves the opportunity to use the vagus nerve, which starts kind of like the back of your head, you can kind of tap it, and it goes all the way down to your tummy we're trying to calm ourselves down by stimulating that. And in turn, you can reduce stress and anxiety and even depression from a good exhale. Do you know what you tell kids when they're freaking out? If they're have, suffering from challenges and you don't want to put them on any meds? Try to get them to start running. Why do you think? Yeah, yeah. But what happens when you like are like start running and like after two blocks you realize like you're not a good runner (laughs) panting exhaling right that like deep release and then you have to figure out how to create a rhythm right and then you have to figure out you know it's like you keep like evolving so it's kind of why you need to find a way to push out the dirt and the grime and the gunk because if not it'll stick to you and then if it sticks to you that's another way of creating dis-ease right um, when you are breathing, now yogis are calling it a rechaka, right? It's just an exhale. Scientifically they're finding out that when you breathe, it dampens, a deep exhale dampens your fear response and it reverses the issues of um, too much um, cortisol production. So it, it, it r- r- uh, lets your heart rate go down, this is my favorite, it makes your sex life better. Um, and mental clarity, so it makes you like, more focused and more aware. And that's why a lot of people are like, really into right now, um, like offices are really into doing um, you know, mindfulness practices for teamwork building and stuff. Right? Focus, clarity, lots of work. Um, so a prolonged exhale is relaxing. And, it, and when you emphasize the exhale and then add a retention at the end of the exhale, It even becomes calming. This, to me, is the coolest thing in the whole world, okay? Modern science states that there are ten areas of the brain of which we are only using one at our present state of evolution. To use the other 90% involves the distribution of prana to awaken these areas. The subconscious mind and its relationship to the conscious mind are dealt with in pranayama, By the establishment of an interface between the conscious and the subconscious minds in the area of the body called the reticular activating system, the RAS. You can trigger that just by touching the top of your mouth. Have you ever heard sometimes in a practice, often in a stronger practice, they'll sometimes say, touch the top of the mouth during your practice? So you're literally like... Um, it's part of Ujjayi Pranayama. That that and yogis, how they know what RAS was, right? The RAS is the trigger for all other parts of the brain. Man is able to affect the RAS through breath only. Humans, man, women, people, dogs, subjects, animals. Yeah. So breath is affecting the part of the brain that allows you to interface conscious and subconscious. We're all gonna be like John Edwards. It's kinda cool. No other function of the autonomic nervous system can be controlled by conscious human activity. Control of the brain through the RAS by means of conscious breathing is a method by which other functions of the body may be controlled. Heart rate, blood pressure, digestion, excretion, absorption. Simple yogic breathing techniques have uh, specific effects on the body-mind, and by using yoga, one can also shift the energetic effects. Coolio, eh? We're going to talk about some of these things, but um, when you feel anxious or ungrounded, you can do alternate nostril breathing, scientifically proven. When you are doing the skull-shining breath, kapalabhati, It circulates the blood within the brain, and it invigorates and tonifies each cell in your body. Scientifically proven. The kumbhaka, when you hold on to the breath, your body, um, it it stops the vital um, body rhythms and affects your brain waves. So you're able to um, kind of like create a sense of tolerance. And calm during stressful situations when you start playing with breath retention. Isn't this cool? I don't know. It's fascinating. Um, ujjayi, which sometimes is called the psychic breath, um, Ujjayi means victorious breath, and there's it that there, it's, it's on your sheet. But um, the it helps you if you feel angry, frustrated, or irritated. It helps you to increase the air in your lungs and ensures transfer of oxygen, which is what we're trying to do, is get more oxygen. It's pretty freaking fascinating. So prana is a tonic. I always used to tease people that what my job title was is that I was purveyor of the oxygen cocktail.
1: <laughs>
0: pretty much is what your job is, right? It's a, prana is a tonic, and it's an elixir that builds up your physical, mental, and spiritual strength. So when you tap into pranayama, now all we're going to do is kind of play around with stuff, you start to unlock the gateway to the subtle realm of self-healing, mastery of the mind, and spiritual unfolding. So you're literally unlocking something through your central nervous system, affecting your brain, making you smarter, right? Energetically, doing all of these different kind of, funny little tricks and tools, help you to literally heal yourself with every breath. That is neato. Um, Let's find our... um, Let's find our diaphragm. Are you ready? I'm not even going to ask you to touch your friend just get to find it on your own. Okay. Um, how many of you have practiced different Kriyas? Mm-hmm. Like what? Like neti potty? Mm-hmm. Yep. So there's like six Kriyas, yeah. Kriya means action, eh?
1: Tongue yep, tongue scraping. I that.
0: right? So there's all kinds of different kriyas. One of them is a Nauli kriya. Anybody heard of Nauli? Nauli. N-A-U-L-I. So we are going to find our diaphragm. It's the cat, uh, Our diaphragm is this um, amazing thing, and when we kind of use the diaphragm, we start healing our internal organs. Our body comes into homeostasis just by breathing. So if someone says like, oh, I joined you know, a gym, or I joined like, you know, some online program or whatnot, your body should always be in balance if you're practicing a conscious active breath. And that's what's really kind of a misnomer about the whole fitness world and the fitness craze, is a lot of people, because we become such a stressed out, um, productive is so, you know, like such a big, productivity is such a big part of our culture, that we've lost sight of creating that balance. But when we use our breath as a positive tool, we never have to really worry about working out, right? All right, and if you're tired, this will help too. Okay, so what we're gonna do is practice a variation of a naoli kriya, so a cleansing. We're gonna kind of stand as silly as I am, and you're gonna exhale all year out. Then you're gonna hold your breath. You're going to inhale without inhaling, and all you're going to do is move your diaphragm up with the fake inhale. And then you're going to hold your breath as long as you can until you go like this. And you go, a little extra sip of inhale, and then, okay, probably didn't make any sense. No. (laughs) Okay, you're going to exhale all the air out, just we're pretending now, hold it. And now, without inhaling through mouth, nose, ears, skin, suck your belly in and up. Keep holding it until you can't hold it anymore, and then you're going to go like this. And breathe in even more, and then exhale. (sighs) That makes sense? Okay, so you're going to take your belly, and you're going to exhale all the way out. So here, I've got my belly really big, and then you're going to go... And on your exhale, you're going to suck your belly in and up, but you're not inhaling. Does that make sense? Okay. And someone's back just cracked. Come on back up. All right. Ready? It's going to feel kind of weird, hopefully. Your ultimate goal is you should feel a little space or a little pop. Okay? We're trying to get our diaphragm to do the proper functioning, the proper work. A diaphragm creates peristalsis, right? The movement of it starts to hit your heart and create peristalsis. So let's take and let your head hang and exhale all the air out. Inhale, breathe in. Exhale, breathe all the air out. Now hold your breath, fake breathing in by pulling your belly in and up, hold your breath, hold your breath, hold your breath, hold it, and when you can't hold it anymore, exhale. Anybody feel something kind of pop, shift? Anybody feeling like, oh my, she's effing crazy and (laughs) I couldn't do it and I got like a little freaked out, panicky? Honor your body, whatever happens. Anybody start sweating? Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. So we have our Mula banda, we have our udiana banda, and we have our Jalhandara banda, right? So we have these different body locks or internal body locks. This is a way to help you to start to find your Uddiyana Bandha. But what it also is, is it helps you to really kind of sense how the diaphragm needs to work every time we breathe. Most people don't use their diaphragm when they breathe. Kids do. But then um, a little bit about like five years old, we stop learning how to use our diaphragm to breathe, and we just get all freaked out and wound up and tight. Like, okay. ready? Place your hands on your legs. Exhale all the air out. Inhale, breathe in. Exhale all the air out. Hold it. Your body's a pot, it's a kumbhaka. Hold it and now suck in air without breathing in air. So you're containing, creating a container for your breath. So from the throat to the base of your pelvis, you have space, and when you're ready, inhale, and then exhale everything out. So the hard part is when you can't hold your breath anymore, then you have to sip in air, and that makes it like a, like a almost like a little hiccup. You okay? Yeah. No, yeah. no your face is all like, different, so I'm just <laughs> checking. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You're confused. Yes. I'm always confused.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So I did this with you
0: before, now I can't get it again. That's okay.
1: So anyway, uh, when you're holding the breath, are you bringing your muscles in or are you letting them go out? You're not intaking any air, but are you... You're not
0: intaking any air. You're going to exhale all the air out, and then you're going to do a down dog. Do a down dog. So the best way to feel what you're doing is you're pulling your belly button in, and then pulling a thread of energy up your spine, up. So exhale all the air out, broaden your shoulders, good. And then inhale. That's what you're trying to do is create that space, but now you're not gonna inhale, you're gonna exhale all the air out, hold your breath, and now create that cavity. Feel it? Okay. I just took her tummy, And basically like went like here and hollowed it up. Mm -hmm. It's kind of weird like so if you've had um, kids or if you've had any kind of like trauma that you're holding on to sometimes you're not as conscious you know and think of other things like maybe you ate today sorry you know and you just maybe you ate or maybe you have to pee you know it might not you might not feel it today but if you kind of practice some of this stuff Did it feel different? Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's try it again and see if now you can kind of feel it. So you're literally carving out a cavity. Okay? Hands on the legs. Exhale all the air out. On your next inhale, breathe in. Exhale all the air out. Now hold everything. Once the air is out, suck your belly in and up and you're still not breathing. You're just holding, creating space. You're a kumbha. You are a pot. You are this incredible vessel. Breathing deeply. And when you're ready, sip, sip, sip in. Make a noise like... matter how short you can hold it for, or how long you can hold it for, it's more about starting to really feel that there's something more than just like when someone says, you know, inhale, exhale. As a teacher, you have to figure out how to get the student to actually use their diaphragm, right? As a teacher, you have to figure out, well, it's not a warm room, but my students aren't perspiring. And you don't want them to perspire because they can do like 100 chaturangas. You want them to perspire because they're using the breath work, right? Iyengar, um, um, Ashtanga, they're all based on rhythms of breath, okay? And breath ratios. So let's sit down. Are you guys okay? How many of you have ever done sandbag breathing? Okay, We're going to try to move our diaphragm in a different way now. So you're going to lay down on your back and take your block. Yeah. On your belly. you that when we get up the and inhale would you say that it's better to mouth you do it through your mouth, you're going to cause a sympathetic reaction and your nose is parasympathetic. When you breathe through the nostrils, it's parasympathetic. When you breathe through the mouth, it's sympathetic. So it creates more fight or flight. Was it hard to breathe in through the nose? It just don't
1: feel the energy And I do feel maybe I need to just stay there longer.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you're exhaling all the air out, you're holding it, and you're just creating space, like a void. And then when you can't hold your breath any longer, you inhale, pull your arms up, and exhale. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. It's a shift, we're just shifting perspectives. And you would never teach this to students, I'm just trying to teach all of you how to feel your diaphragm, right? how to do conscious active breath. So now take your block to your belly. And the sandbag breathing really helps you to feel if you're breathing from the proper areas. Exhale all the air out. And now inhale and make the block lift up. It works better if it's like a heavy sandbag or something, obviously. So it's called the sandbag test. And then exhale, let everything go. Right? So you're moving the breath through your body. Every inhale and every exhale, you're creating space. So diaphragmatic or yogic breathing activates the parasympathetic nervous system. And it allows you to balance your strengths and your weaknesses. So you can kind of like let the spinal column not have any disease, right? The hardest thing is can you really breathe belly, lungs, ribs, ribs, lungs, belly. And get the breath to awaken that inner harmony and freedom. There's so many like energetic, positive things that happen, but all you're trying to do right now is allow yourself to create space and to get the diaphragm to kind of move. Feel that exchange of old air for new. Feel your body elongating. Feel your chest open, your lungs expansive as you balance your nervous system. And then slowly and gently Begin to take and reach your arms back behind you, your knees to your chest, and we'll roll over, and come on up to a seated space. So I'm just skimming through some of the notes that I have handed out to you. We don't have to like look in them right now. We're going to um, do the last two pages of your handout in a second and kind of play around with the breath. What we're doing here is talking about like the idea of how um, when breathing is exchanged for old air and new, it has a lot of positive effects on your systems. And um, it's been known to cure diabetes, PTSD, you're normalizing the blood pressure You're getting more oxygen to the um, blood. Scientifically, when you're stressed, you typically breathe too rapidly, right? And we've already talked about different things that happen when you're getting frustrated or stressed or different things that happen. But this leads to a buildup of oxygen in the bloodstream and a corresponding decrease of the relative amount of carbon dioxide, which in turn upsets your acid-alkaline balance or your pH level of your blood. So you know how inflammation, and people are saying like, I'm too acidic, or I have to go on a special kind of like diet right now, or you know, there's all this inflammation pills or in the wellness industry that are kind of popping up. You can heal it with breathing. This condition known as respiratory alkalosis can result in muscle twitching. Tell me if you've ever felt this way. Nauseous, irritability, lightheaded, confusion, depression. Fear, anxiety, tense, shallow, and erratic um, things that activate the sympathetic nervous system. So, when you're not breathing properly, you automatically go into fight or flight because of that, the stuff that I just listed. You're that buildup of um, oxygen and a corresponding decrease in carbon dioxide. Because just like Ha and Ta, right, your sun and your moon. You have to balance out your oxygen and your carbon dioxide. You have to balance out your male and female energies. You have to balance out the good and the bad. You have to balance out, you know, sweet and sour. Inhale, exhale will help you to balance out. But we need to literally train ourselves. Like we train ourselves how to read or how to ride a bike or how to, I don't know, other things that we train ourselves how to do. You know, I mean, then... If we can train ourselves how to breathe properly, the elixir of life, man. That's the fountain of youth. It's amazing. Um, Slowing and regulating the breath raises the carbon dioxide level in the blood, which nudges the pH level back to a less alkaline state. And as the blood's pH changes, the parasympathetic nervous system calms and soothes us in a variety of ways, including telling the vagus nerve to secrete I'm not going to pronounce this right, acetylcholine, as- as- there you go, the substance that lowers the heart rate, so that's pretty cool. So when you do your alternate nostril breathing, and you're feeling anxious or ungrounded, Your alternate nostril breathing imposes a rhythm in the brain and the nadis, your central, you know, all those little flowing rivers of energy over over that irregular state that normally exists, right? Because you're controlling that breath. And you're bridging the body, prana, and mental activity into balance. So you have a Kleenex, right? And this answers is kind of the question that maybe I didn't touch on before. If your inhales are upward movements and your exhales are downward movements, and you didn't feel anything when you did that last, right? And then you didn't know if you should exhale through the mouth or through the nose. Take your Kleenex. And you can do this with your students by pretending that your hand is a mirror. Some of you have already done this with me. Hold on to your Kleenex about a hands width away from your mouth. Inhale through the nose. Exhale through the mouth, make your curtain move. Easy peasy, eh? Inhale through the nose. Exhale through the nose, make your curtain move. Oh! Inhale through the nose. Exhale through the nose, make your curtain move. Inhale through your nose. Exhale through the nose, make your curtain move. Mm hmm. Interesting. What did you notice from that? Harder to,
1: mm-hmm. it's harder to get force.
0: Right? It's harder to get the force. And then what did you notice in the lower portion of your body?
1: Contracting your capsule.
0: Yes. So, well, it's maybe. There you go. Thanks. <laughs> oh, like, oh, okay. Yeah. So because you're able to get that to um, move... Then you're starting to get into more of the conscious active breath. Did you notice that your exhales started to become longer when you're breathing out through the nostrils, right? So there's something called a two to one ratio. Have you ever heard of that? Where you're trying to get your exhales longer than your inhales. So I'm just going to read you more science stuff that's kind of cool. Um, just so you really see how magical this simplicity of the breath is and everything you're teaching your students is having a profound effect, science is realizing right now. I just did a Yoda thing. I mixed my sentence, but you got it. Yeah? Okay. Um, when you breathe two times long of an exhale to an inhale, there's a connection between your heart rate and your breathing, which equals respiratory sinus arrhythmia. Okay. That me the sinus of not like this kind of sinus, but the receptors that stimulate the shifts in heart rate are located in the aortic and chaotic and uh, carotid sinuses. Um, so we can intervene to produce effects through our breath. Scientifically, we're finding this out. that when we take and breathe two times longer and exhale than an inhale, um, we're affecting the reflex activity from the circulatory system to the brainstem. And it makes your heartbeat slower. It's making your brain function better. Cool, right? But we have to teach people literally how to breathe. That's your job to pour an oxygen cocktail, to literally help people to do that. So, on the last two sheets that I gave you all, I gave you all these different kinds of interesting ways. To teach breathing from the major kind of types of pranayama practices and some simple instructions. So you have nadi shodana, which is alternate nostril breathing. You have shittali. Have you ever heard of that? So shitali means cool. So you inhale through the mouth, but you exhale through the nose. One thing that I want to say about this is it reminds me. My grandma was a smoker. She used to then put on lipstick, and you get those little lines, right? So what you have to do is put your like kissy lips versus your like o lips because you get like a line. This also is a great breath to do for people who are challenged with menopause and need to cool off. Okay. Or it's too hot outside, and you have someone who's kind of like freaking out from the heat. You just inhale through the mouth. Exhale through the nose. Engage in the parasympathetic. Your exhales are longer than your inhales, but you're cooling your body off. Ujjayi pranayama, that victorious breath. Um, You know, a lot of people talk about this like Darth Vader. You have to make this big old noise. Really what you want to do is take that deep breath. To me, ujjayi, a lot of times it's defined as like oceanic breath or victorious breath. To me, it's victory over the mind. That you're using the breath to create this victorious kind of flow, where all of a sudden, just like the yoga sutras talk about, you're calming the fluctuations of the mind. So you're more wrapped up in the rhythm that your body's creating like the, um, than your kind of like thought processes. Because hmm? a big part of breathing is to really help someone to train themselves and be more resilient to realize that they're not their thoughts, right? People, a lot of your students are coming to the mat because they want to let go of life. So if we can find a way for them to have a tool they can use off the mat, that's our ultimate goal. And if we start to condition people to realize through the breath practices that you're not your thoughts, and you can let go of those or sift out the toxic ones, then you'll find the golden nuggets of positivity, you know, that golden key that unlocks the door to a deeper state of awareness. Um, and that's when that kind of crazy, like kind of like psychic concept comes in—the intuition. Kapalabhati. How many of you have done kapalabhati? Good. We're gonna practice it right now. Ready? So we'll come into a comfortable seat. What I think is kind of interesting about kapalabhati. Um, is in some schools of thought, when you forcefully exhale, some people say that it's all done through the mouth. Some people say it's done through the nostrils. And it just depends on the school of thought. In a perfect world, you ultimately want to do it through the nostrils, right? The inhales come automatically. This is done after a lot of power vinyasa classes and practices, but... What I was reading you um, before about how kapalabhati, or that skull-shining breath, it invigorates and tonifies every cell of the body. So if you've ever taken an anatomy course, do you understand that your endocrine system runs pretty much along the central nervous system? Mm -hmm. That's so freaking cool. So all your lymph nodes, all of these little things that we want to have function properly, when you do breath of fire and you tonify from the base... It is pretty much a little kundalini-esque because you're uncoiling any blocked channel and letting the impurities burn off like an incense, but you're letting the magic still be part of that channel so that you are toning and affecting every cell. This stuff does really work. If anybody ever has taken a kundalini class and you do that breathing for an hour and a half with every pose, it does shift your brain. So you have to be really, really careful about the environment that you do these things in, and you have to be really careful about what the demographic you do these things in because you can also, just as there are two sides of the coin, you could do something really awesome, or you could do something very... um, Inappropriate for your students when you do breath of fire, if they do it improperly. So. Yeah. With great power comes great responsibility, <laughs> says Spider-Man. All right, so what happens is it almost feels like someone has thrown like a baseball at your tummy on your exhale. And then your inhale is just kind of uh, re- not reactionary, but it is automatic, okay? Exhale is forceful. Inhale comes automatically, and it's a fast rhythm. Okay. Did you say you're supposed to tone your pelvic floor and your core while you're doing this? Is that what I heard you say, or does that just happen automatically? It kind of, Everything kind of happens automatically if you start, like, kind you of engaging. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it just... Um, one thing that's interesting though, is, um, to me, what I would watch and what I really appreciate about rooms with mirrors is a lot of people, when they first start this, they go like this, <laughs> right? <laughs> and why do you think that is? Right. Cause they're not using a diaphragm and they can't, I mean, I was over-exaggerating, but they can't figure out what that deep breath is, they can't feel it, mm-hmm. right? So your question was perfect, because in an incredibly amazing, enlightened <laughs> world, yes, right, but, you know. right. And that's the interesting thing about the breath is that um, it's kind of challenging to get to that space to produce the proper effects. So um, how many people have ever seen a bunny breathe? Okay, what does a bunny do? Yeah. So,
1: yeah, Uh, that's a
0: really fun, right? Short and fast. Yeah. Right. Their little noses twist, twitch. So what we want to do is maybe cue your students. Do a little bunny breath and just kind of play around. Make a bunny noise. What happens when you do that? Right? You almost feel that little flutter in your belly. Yeah? Okay? If you don't feel comfortable that way, take and take your dominant hand, make it into a fist, take the other hand on top, inhale through the nose, and exhale, push your belly all the way back. It's kind of like what I did to you. <laughs> inhale, fill yourself up. Exhale, push the belly all the way back. Inhale, fill up. Exhale, push the belly button. Oh, okay. Good. And we'll release. Did you notice so far I haven't had you do any hands on adjustments in this whole entire class? <laughs> right? Your words are your most powerful tools. There are so many people dealing with trauma and they don't know how to breathe properly. If you start touching them in some of these places, they're going to just like freak the shit out on you. Right? So it's really, really great. To use your words as your powerful tool and to use these simple examples to be able to teach versus, like, you know, going over and saying, okay, well, this is like how it should feel. Yeah. Because that's when you overstretch someone physically and mentally. And I've had lots of teachers in the past, in the old days, where they used to stand on you or they used to push you into positions and then you tear something, but you sure would get into that pose, right? You know, and then you're healing yourself right? We want to do the exact opposite. We want this to be a path to healing so that you're using your experiences and your words to be able to communicate a message without having to actually physically manipulate a human. Um, So, um, uh, let's try to then, before we do the bunny breathing, pant like a puppy. awesome what'd you feel then more diaphragm diaphragm. Mm -hmm. okay so whether it's bunny puppy whatever makes it work for you the only thing is we don't want to hyperventilate right so when you cue that way then you have to make sure you're like okay now because we're working the energetics of the practice we want to make sure we're still grounded down and and calming our vagus nerve Um, So we do that rest and digest phase of the real reason we're doing the breath. So we want to make sure that our mouth is closed, right? And even if you're um, teaching them that they start off doing the mouth breathing, you just don't want them to feel like they're hyperventilating. So you'll give them an opportunity maybe for a 40 count and then take a break and then do another 40 count. Mm-hmm. Anybody have any questions so far before we do this?
1: I noticed when I had my mouth closed, I was able to do the, bring my abdomen in when I was panting. But when I was panting with my mouth open like a dog, mm-hmm. my abdomen is going out to push the dog. Oh, interesting. So I found that confusing. I would rather, you know, I was like, now which way is my abdomen supposed mm-hmm. to go mm-hmm. on the exit?
0: So from experience, now you know which one you're gonna teach, right? Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and that's like kind of that awareness that all these texts are bringing to us is the opportunity to kind of play around with it, to see what resonates with us as teachers and how we can bring it to the students. Thank you. Okay, so let's take and make sure that we're in a comfortable position, right? So even though we're not in tadasana, we're not like standing, We still have that proper alignment in our Sukhasana, or I'm in hero's pose because it's better on my knees. Every exhale is forceful, every inhale is automatic. Take a deep breath, that's okay. It's an oxygen cocktail. And then exhale all the air out. It made me burp. Inhale, breathe in. And let's begin. Take a couple cycles of breath, lick your lips, wet your mouth. Remember we're emphasizing our exhale. And then look forward, inhale, breathe in, and let's begin. Three, two, one. Lick your lips, wipe your mouth. Now your curtain Kleenex can be your booger Kleenex. <laughs> How was that experience? Calming. Calming? Mm-hmm. Warming. Yeah, warming. <laughs> Is it better than a at- Who do you love more, your son or your daughter?
1: <laughs>
0: Don't do it before going to bed. It's, it's energizing, right? If you do it before going to bed, you, ha- you might be wound up a little bit, right? But there's nothing wrong with doing like a two-to-one practice in bed, right? Right? Because then you're like kind of amping down the day. But yeah, and might see what happens if you do actually like try it before bed. Maybe you're that person who can um, use it. You know, it just depends. I know people who are on the spectrum who they drink coffee and it puts them to sleep. Right? Right. Mm-hmm. It just depends on what part of that um, autism, ADD, ADHD spectrum you're on right? Um, So that's why you really have to try it for yourself. So that's a great question. Um, I know a lot of people, when they have caffeine, it just amps them up. So, you know, you can play around with it. Yeah. Um, Alternate nostril breathing. um, I like to do uh, with little kids um, more as a way to kind of talk about um, uh, dolphin breathing. Most of you have done that with me before. Um, so we might do that simple version of it. Alternate nostril breathing is a class in and of itself. right? You have to hold your hand depending on who you're studying with a certain way. You have to breathe through one nostril depending on who you're with a certain way. Um, you usually exhale through the left. Inhale, hold it. Exhale through the right. Inhale, hold it. Exhale through the left. So you always start and in on the left side. But if you're a pregnant woman and you want to create a certain effect in your body, you almost do like a crazy eight kind of breathing where you're inhaling one side, exhaling the outside, inhaling that side, exhaling, does that make sense? You kind of like start playing with breath ratios. It's not on your sheet. It's from the top of my head, out of my bum hole. Um, So um, alternate nostril breathing, is um, one of those practices that really helps you to uh, really um, ground down. And, but it does also start playing into breath ratios. And when you start diving deeper into breath ratios, they're not just inhale, hold it, exhale. Exhale. It could be inhale, hold it, exhale, hold it, inhale, hold it, exhale, hold it. So there's all these different kind of rhythms. And then your inhale might be for five counts, your holding could be for ten counts, and your exhale could be for five counts, and your holding could be for ten counts. So then you start kind of playing around with different ratio timelines, depending on what kind of mood you want to elicit. I also have those sheets too. I didn't want to copy you and give you a tons of sheets today, right? Um... And then with um, the basic uh, alternate nostril breathing, it's just simply um, on a count that's comfortable for you. So I usually do it like a six-count hold. Inhale for six counts, hold it for six counts. Exhale for six counts, hold it for six counts. You know? And then it's just kind of basic. If you're working with uh, you know, people who might be coming from a challenging environment, then you might not want to have them do that. How many of you have never done alternate nostril breathing? Oh, good. So can we move forward? Mm -hmm. Awesome. Um, Other interesting ways that you can communicate the breath to people, especially if you're trying to kind of um, get people to figure out um, like a three-part breath. A three-part breath is a Durga breath. It's integral yoga, right? You did it today laying on your back. With the sandbag experiment. Mm-hmm. Breathing belly, lungs, ribs, ribs, lungs, belly. Another way is to have people chant a mantra. Om. A-U-M-E. Exhale. A-U-M. So the real Om, right, is A-U-M. And then that little dot in the Om symbol is that kumbaka the holding. (sighs) Um, So energetically you can start then working with um, sound, right? Another sound one that I really like doing is when you say so hum internally. And so hum means I am that, which means you're like connected to all things. So it's a really powerful mantra. A lot of times when you're studying with someone, you get a japa or a mantra with a specific teacher, like Om Mani Padme Hum. You've heard that, right? So you inhale so and you exhale hum. It's longer, so it's a two to one. And this um, helps you take from a state of awareness, uh, 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 take our awareness from a state of constriction to an expanded consciousness. Wasn't this fun? Now you can read your sheets at home. Um, what I would like to do is to there's I mean we could dive into this deeper and deeper and deeper, but I really want to just keep readdressing the fact that this is a profound and powerful tool that allows you to change, not just like oh I'm gonna like look better in my clothes, but to change your life, literally lighten your mood, but also scientifically really heal certain things that are ailing you. And that's an elixir. That's the best oxygen cocktail and the freest thing that you'll ever get. So when they talk about the idea of moksha, right? Moksha means freedom. And it's one of the best words in our Sanskrit language, right? Our yoga teaching lexicon, okay? If Our central nervous system is attached to our brain, right? And you see that doctor symbol? Mm -hmm. And then it kind of has the wings. You're literally opening up the nadis through using the values, the pathways of energy of your prana. Those little tiny, tiny elements are opening up the chakras. And in turn, when that conduit is open... It connects to your brain. The brain and the hemispheres of the right and the left, the ha and the ta, the male and the female, the good and the bad, the open up like wings so that you find the freedom through the practice to open your body up to more profound spaces and that higher states of consciousness. So that we might be teaching children or adults, inhale the flowers, and exhale like you're blowing out a candle, right? But you're inhaling the blue sky mind, and you're exhaling the negativity away, you're exhaling the bad stuff from your life. But actually what you're doing is like what um, Thomas Edison was talking about in the beginning of um, our kind of time together, that you're actually healing your body through something as simple as breath. And you're... Opening up this um, ability to, and I wanted to find that saying that I give you, uh, where you're creating resiliency to influence the physiological and psychic bodies. So like the yogis didn't know all this stuff, but now we're realizing that our autonomic nervous system is so completely affected by the connection between your body, your mind, and your heart. (laughs) Um, Would you like to go around and each one of you say one thing that will kind of stick with you as you go on your path today? I'll keep this here for you.
1: But I can, can heal so many different things. Like, it's not like we think that we're just breathing, but it's you're really, it makes a big difference.
0: Mm-hmm. It's like alchemy. We're yeah. magicians. Yes. Mm-hmm. You sparkle. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, kind of the same thing. I think just that you can heal like, any ailment that you have with your breath is it's
0: amazing. Mm-hmm.
1: Sort of you know the base of of everything. So mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Can I ask one question? Yeah. Um, so I work with people who've experienced trauma at times. Is there anything that's sort of safe that you could just generally start with some breath work that wouldn't you know be pushing too much?
0: Yeah, I mean just that some of the tools okay. that we're doing here, like fun animal noises to okay. make them laugh, or starting to teach them some really simple take one hand to your tummy, one hand to your heart, and do a three-part breath like what we're doing, mm-hmm. uh, the sandbag experiment, okay. Yeah, okay. where they don't feel weighted down. But you know how when you work with people like that and sometimes you offer them a weight jacket mm-hmm. or a weight vest? Mm-hmm. It's very similar to the sandbag concept um, to find expansiveness versus contractiveness but feel safe in space with that proprioception. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the breath... I think everything we've talked about today just reinforces that. Cool. Um, I'm inspired to try some chanting and mantras with my breath work. Good.
1: I think the science behind all of this, and it just kind of blows my mind that, you know, yogis knew this 5,000 years ago, and it's just now. It's
0: like, oh yeah, that's what it is. Right. So, as a yogi, we create... The um, we took the great vow to become one, right? So it kind of when you really tap into that RAS that we were talking about, um, you are something part, part of something greater, right? So like that is so cool that you said that because it is. It's like, whoa, it's like, I don't know what just came out of my mouth, but cool It's real.
1: Yeah. Talking about alcohol, so yeah. I really that line. So, thank you. I'm gonna use that like we're having an oxygen cocktail right now, yeah. It's, it's kind of a trigger for me when they're constantly talking about wine. So, so thank you
0: for Sweet. that. Sweet, yeah. Well, um, so this is interesting to me because, um, I'm diabetic, and even if I give myself the proper amount of insulin, if I'm stressed out or anxious, it can raise my blood sugar by like 100 points. Mm-hmm. So, I'm interested to see, like, Different types of breaths, like what ones kind of like can help me, like, a little bit of anxiety, and like, I don't know, I'm kind of excited to play around with all of it. Awesome, that's so inspiring. Mm -hmm. Cool.
1: Um, Just awareness, I think, is so big. Mm -hmm. Um, Because we can do it in here, but it's just unlike you, simply applying it to actual situations. (laughs) Right. (laughs) ideas or mm-hmm. you know how do you help them maybe learn it without telling them that that's what they're learning because you know, if you can see that it would really help them on their health or right. mental status or whatever um, it's hard to hold it back <laughs> and not
0: yes as teachers and as students if you allow things to unfold they have a much deeper effect than to throw something down someone's throat So watch your practice and your life unfold, and through your inspiration and your um, uh, lifestyle choices, people will then come and ask you, you know? And that's what I'll say to all this stuff that I just said today. Treat everything that I said with a grain of salt, and remember that you are your best teacher, and I'm teaching from my experiences and my passion. And allow your voice and your experience to come to the surface as you teach and you will unfold to be a beautiful lotus flower yourself, right? Yeah. Have an awesome, awesome afternoon. Thank you for your patience and your time, and um, I look forward to seeing you all later on the mat. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And here's that book if you want to see. Yeah, he has a bunch of books. Yep, so it's all on pranayama.